Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and we got Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? You guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. And uh, today we're challenging the status quo again. Shocker, I know, what a plot twist. But <laughs> <laughs> We're challenging the status quo of people who are challenging the status quo. It's Ooh. like status quo, er, inception. <laughs> status quo inception. <laughs> it's a... Uh, um, it's inconceivable, one might say. That's Princess for pride. I reference. confused myself just trying to say it. Yeah, I was going to try to say, I was going to make a reference to something more obscure, but then I was like, no, that no one's going to get that joke. So anyway, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to The Church Split. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and, of course, Spotify now. Um, and if you're going to roast us and you're mad and you want to leave us a one-star review on Apple Podcasts, that's perfectly fine. We just ask that you make it really saucy. Like, yeah. I just want to be insulted in a very creative fashion. I don't want just, oh, these guys are loud and arrogant. Like, that's not going to fly. I need something really saucy. And if you're going to leave us a five-star review, um, I mean, you can say something really nice or you can say something hilarious. Just please let us know what you think of the show there. <laughs> um, although today we are going to be covering, so, of course, all the Internet stuff out of the way. So feel free to support us on Patreon. Uh, we have all the links of that down below and also our merch store, which we always forget to promote. Yep. We always forget to. I need to go in there and make a new design. So, uh, But there are still some very popular ones on there, so check that out. But real quick, today what we are doing is we're going to talk about a phenomenon that has been happening in the last, well, quite a while, that is dealing with stealth Calvinism in the church. And we'll, we'll talk about what that is here in a minute. But this has been a phenomenon we've seen and a lot of people have talked about. And actually over at Beyond the Fundamentals with Kevin Thompson, uh, he's been covering actually a very particular uh, situation with this. Uh, we're actually going to pull some clips from his show. Yep. And I did reach out to Kevin and he actually said he's okay with us uh, coming on the show because I'd love to talk to him about this phenomenon and some of his own statements. Uh, I agree with a lot of what he says. I disagree with some things that he says too. It's just going to be interesting. Um, but he's, uh, but I do appreciate what he's doing as far as this particular situation is concerned, especially because it's definitely necessary. Um, but first, there's been a lot of things that has happened in recent recent weeks that yeah. Brian and I have wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's been a busy summer of just random junk on the internet, and we haven't had time to cover it. So. Right. It's been the, like, the exact, it's the wrong summer for us to not be able to produce content because it's like yeah. there's so many things going on we want to talk we about. We have words to share. We do. So. so before we do that, we want to have a quick a quick time on the uh, Sparkle Creed. If you guys don't know, some progressives came out with one of the craziest things you'll ever hear, and it's called the Sparkle Creed. Let's confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. 
<laughs> Holy heresy. <laughs> so when you say, what's up, heretics, this one is not ironic. Yes. <laughs> but I, I sent this to you. I found this really early on. I was like, look at this. I was like, episode. <laughs> I, I was dead. The moment I listened to this, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, can you say so much heresy in one sent, like in one, like one minute clip? Is it was cool? like heresy, but also like complete nonsense. Like it didn't really like say anything. Like the whole middle section just kind of just random garbage that really isn't actually. I really feel saying like this, anything. This creed, I feel like, is a troll. Like it has every single like stereotype of progressivism, and it, it, so you feel like it's a troll. Yeah. Like you're like, this is a meme, right? It's a meme. No, no, they're quoting it unironically in a church. <laughs> like, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, but the way this tie, we're tying this together today is we're talking about dishonesty in the church mm -hmm. and at least for these sparkle creed people, <laughs> for the sparklers, the sparklers, the sparkle creedists, um, they're at least being honest. They're, they're identifying what they believe and they're saying it out in their congregation. Right. Um, so no matter how absurd it is, it is at least known, at least they're honest, Right. And uh, although I do want to say you, we had we had a few thoughts on this that and we can't park on this long because we got other things to cover, yeah. but they don't mention anything that Jesus actually did for us in the, in the Sparkle Creed, which is funny because like most creeds, it's very much focused on Christ's work, and apparently they didn't really care on this. Yep, um, they worried about his tunic though. <laughs> yeah, which it was weird because they said his fabulous tunic, and it's like the only person that comes to mind is Joseph. With the coat of many colors. Yeah. They know they're not the same person, right? Maybe it was the woman that reached out and touched his tunic because it was fabulous. Maybe that's why, instead of thinking she might be healed. Oh, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> She's uh, like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> had nothing to do with her re reaching out in faith. <laughs> yeah. um, they focus on him having two dads, which even in like the most been like the most reductive, terrible, like like Unitarian or Arian representation of tr the Trinity, no one affirms that he, there's like two fathers in there. So again, just crazy. Yeah. Um, saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I mean, kind of Hebrews two sibling, brothers, <laughs> but a sibling child. Yeah. But you can't be that. This one, you pointed this out. I'll let you take the thunder. <laughs> yeah, when it says it says shatters our image, and I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> it's like unintentionally correct because it says like the 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 white light that breaks into a glorious like rainbow of diversity yeah. that shatters our image. It's like oddly enough, the LGBT thing kind of does shatter your image, so you're not wrong. Yeah, but just not in the way you think. Um, so uh, then they say, and then one thing that we were talking about, like the Church of Everyday Saints, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. depend on how you define that. I I like that better than like what people have done with like the sainthood doctrines. Yeah, it a little bit has that come as you are, you know, and but they're not also affirming. I don't think the and then let the gospel change you. Uh, nope. Just leave as you are as well, and keep doing as you're doing. And then I'll let you take the other funny one. Oh, yeah. So then we have the love is love is love, which is just self-referential times two. And then at the end they, is the most honest part of the creed, I think, which is help with my unbelief. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, great. You go in there, you hear a bunch of heresy, you hear about a non-binary God, which is really, a, you know, he has masculine pronouns, right? 
Like just because he says, let us make man in our own image, you know that's like a royal we, right? Or the divine council, depending on your view. But that that's that's it. Like he's not trying to say that he has some special pronouns that anyway, whatever. Yeah. We all know that. So Sparkle Creed was nonsense. That was crazy. Um, Both threw me into a seizure uh, when I <laughs> when you first showed it to me. So that's good. You're welcome. Um, but let's talk about stealth Calvinism for a minute. Now, <clears throat> we had Barry Peters on uh, earlier. I think was it this year or was it end of last year? I think it was end of last year. Okay. So that um, and Barry Peters was a pastor who came on and he told his story about his church split. And how, of course, how horrible it was and how vitriolic it was. But mm-hmm. one of the things he talked about was how this guy, like, shoehorned Reformed doctrine into their church and basically split the church with Calvinism. So what I wanted to talk about was how this has been a phenomenon that's actually been happening a lot in churches. And I've heard about it time and time again. We've gotten emails about it. We've gotten messages about it. That I'm glad you talked about that. This happened at my church. And it seems like everywhere I'm hearing about, I hear these stories. However... You, before we get into what Beyond the Fundamentals exposed regarding these issues and talk through it, I want us to make note of the fact that we too experience it in our church. Um, and we'll talk about it at the end what our experience was because we saw it right happen before our eyes. But that's your hook. If you want to hear that personal story, you got to hang out to the end. Yeah. But I think. It might be easy to listen to what we're saying today and go, oh, yeah, that's just an, an anti-Calvinist video from the church split. And this isn't. This is about church unity. And when you have someone that's coming into a church or have several people, you know, we um, we have another friend, pastoral friend, that also ran into this at his old church 20 years ago, where you get a couple people on the board and they decide they want to change the church to another doctrine. And the and several times it's been Calvinism. Seems like that seems to be the track they go. And they add obfuscation. They're using words but not defining them. They're um, creating confusion. And then they and then there's even some gaslighting that occurs um, where they're actually saying, "No, that's not. You're the one that's that's being confrontational. You're the one that's not uh, interpreting scripture. You just need to understand there's a paradox here. There's some tension." And uh, I think. Um, you know, the the James Ross email review that he does is exposes quite a bit in that situation that's in this church in Florida. Absolutely. So, so anyways, it's about lies. It's not about Calvinism. Right. Because here's my general, before we jump into this, this is what I wanted to make sure I mentioned right off the bat, because I know everyone knows that, you know, we post a lot of Calvinist memes. We take a lot of jabs at Calvinism. Uh, to be fair, we took a lot of jabs at the IFB for two years. So Right. Yeah. The IFB was like our... You know, that's where you came from. We jabbed them first. Now we're jabbing where I came from. Right, exactly. Brian was raised in the Christian Reformed Church. I was raised IFB when we first started this because you were just the producer and I was just the front man. I was punching on the IFB stuff for a long time. And we've just since changed targets. And I will say this it is so much, I will say it, it's a lot more fun poking Calvinists. I'll say it. Okay. <laughs> it is a lot more fun. Uh, <laughs> mainly because it just gets crazy on Twitter. But let's I want to make sure I talk about just because we are not Calvinists and just because we speak against Calvinists, that's not why we're covering this because it's like, ooh, you know, uh, there's a bunch of dirt on Calvinism. Time to talk about it. Although I do think that there are some implications here. However, here's my general view on the Calvinist topic with churches. Either you're Calvinist and you're Reformed, and therefore you should go to churches that are Calvinist and Reformed. 
because that affirm it. And these OP places should openly affirm it. This is how we believe the gospel works. This is the way we believe God works. This is the way we believe man's responsibility works. Great. It's all out there. Everyone knows. So therefore, when you go, you know what to expect. Or if you're not a Calvinist, you go to the, and you choose to go to that church, you know where they stand on these issues, right? Yeah. Or if you're or if you're not a Calvinist and you're going to a Calvinist church or you're a Calvinist going to a non-Calvinist church, just say it. Just right. say what you believe. You don't have to obfuscate. Just own it. Right. And then if you're uh, a church that's like, we're definitely not going to be Calvinists, then you should definitely make sure you make all the proper verbiage and all your beliefs on how it's not Calvinist. Now, you don't have to say every five seconds we're not Calvinist. But you should say, like, we affirm the true, you know, freedom of man. We believe um, that we don't believe that God, we don't believe in determinism, that God determines every single event. You can just, there's a lot of things you can say, um, or you could just say, you know, I take Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to the way it's supposed to be read. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you can say these different things and make it clear we're a non-Calvinist church. And just like if you're a Calvinist church, you go, we're a Calvinist church. And then if you're going to be the middle guy, then you just say we do not make any hard stances on these issues and we allow everyone here to uh, have their own beliefs and speak their beliefs and we choose to lock arms in unity no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with all three of those options. I'm just saying you have to be in one of those three lanes in order for your church to function. Um, I've, wor- I've worked in ministries where there's a bunch of Calvinists. Uh, I actually currently still ser- help in a ministry where there's a bunch of Calvinists. And... Um, that's fine, but they all are open about it, so we all get to have fun conversations and troll each other, and it's great. But this just is like not you're that. not going to take a ministry job and say, "Oh yeah, I'm Calvinist," right? Because I'm saying, not. Well, we just want a Calvinist pastor. You're like, "Yep, that's me." And then you start teaching dispensationalism. You start teaching against original sin. You talk about how perseverance of the saints doesn't matter. Right. Um, then that would be a problem. That you'd be dishonest, and you would be shirking what they told you that they're looking for. And saying, oh, yeah, I'm that, but you're actually not. Just like if you're someone who goes to a dispensational church. Um, by the way, I wouldn't say I'm dispensational, um, but I'm just, just that we're using that as an example. But if, like, I, if I went to a dispensational church and I want, was interviewing as a pastor and I wanted to shoehorn covenant theology or replacement theology of some sort, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Just in general, I think you guys get the idea. You shouldn't be trying to nut, like, like nudge your agenda into it. Um, now, granted, some churches are just ignorant as heck, and that's actually what stealth Calvinists take advantage of. So, um, for those who do not know, I have taken, I have had many interviews over the last couple of years on different pastorships. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I do, you know, we talk, we get all the formalities out of the way. I go, all right, now, real quick, and I say this every time, real quick, I just want to get my most controversial thought, my controversial beliefs out of the way. And if you're cool with that, we can keep moving forward. If not, I just don't want to waste your time. Yeah, and I'll just you know I'm not a PSA guy. I don't believe in original guilt um, as defined by Augustine at all. Uh, you know I am an annihilationist. I just go through my big things that tend to be issues, and sometimes they go okay, no big deal. Other times they go oh I have a problem with that. And I'm like okay, cool. Well then I'm glad we talked about this. Yeah, so that and then you're not splitting churches, and they're right. not feeling they're like not, they got the wool pulled, pulled over their eyes. Right, not being hired under false pretenses, and just mm-hmm. being and, you know suddenly it's like well he never told us that before. Um, so yeah, with that being said, I think we should probably start jumping in. Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so we're going to be pulling clips from uh, Beyond the Fundamentals, and we're going to make commentary as we go. So this email that we're going to look at here is in response to 
the sermon that we just listened to on Sunday. She says, hi, Pastor James. I wanted to find out how, to, how I go about asking you some questions I have about this last Sunday's sermon. Not sure if I can email or in person. Thank you. Now, you remember in the sermon that we examined Sunday, James Ross said, I'd be happy to discuss or I think he said, debate these issues with you for what, you know, so it sounded like he was open to have a conversation. Guess what I'm trying to say. So he responds, hey, Debbie, it was good to see you and Richard on Monday night. If it is about Calvinism, Reformed theology, etc., the deacons have asked that I include them on the conversation since we have exhausted all my thoughts on that issue. So this is July 2022. This is a year ago. So what this means is that she has been trying to address this issue with you know because there's no manual. Your your church says they're not Calvinist. The pulpit committee says they're not going to hire a Calvinist. Then you get a Calvinist pastor. You see, there's no manual on exactly what to do about that. There's 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 no exact straight up Bible verse. And I know you, you, we can think of some. We can think of you know what did you know John first. Uh, Third John or Romans 16 or Matthew 18. I mean, we could come up with some stuff. So if you go back and watch some of the other stuff, there's a clip that's out that he talks about, like the pastor he's talking about says in a sermon, like, I know some of you guys lean heavily on God's sovereignty, and I know some of you guys lean heavily on man's free will, um, but this is what we're going to proclaim as a church. Mm Mm-hmm. So as long as you say like base, I can't remember exactly what it, the verbiage was, but it's like as long as you believe that like I think there's tension is the word he used. There's yeah, tension, tension between those two um, that we don't understand. Yeah, and but as long as you agree like that, Christ saves us, and we can't save ourselves, then you know we are good. Uh, but then he's like, uh, but if you have questions on this, essentially he's like, you can ask me, but I probably wait. And he kept saying like I would w- w- way too much thoroughly enjoy essentially debating you on this topic. So, you know, he basically, and then he opens up the door, like to talk to him. And so this lady reaches out to him as like, I have questions regarding your sermon because you said sovereignty and free will. Once they brought that up, then suddenly he's like, well, if it's regarding that topic, uh, I, we've exhausted my thoughts on the matter. I have to include the deacons. Suddenly now not willing to talk about it. So it sounds like it's just fake really plateauing from behind the pulpit, right? It's all about posturing and making sure you say say the right things, you know? And he's so right when he says that there's no manual on how to handle this sort of thing. Because as soon as, like, remember I said you need to either go to a church that says we are Calvinists, we're definitely not Calvinists, or we're just going to not really address the issue, we're okay with all of us kind of mingling here together. Mm -hmm. That's why I said that. Because if you're like, no, we're not this, and then suddenly you're getting that. Like, if I went to... A reformed church, and suddenly some guy went in there like quoting Leighton Flowers all the time. I would be very confused. Yeah, <laughs> and no wonder. Yeah, there is no manual, right? Like, I mean, think about the splits we've been in. Yeah, there's situations that you're getting where you're like, I don't know how to handle this. Yeah, and that's partially why we want to have this channel is that people can actually talk about some of these situations so you're prepared ahead of time. Talk about this in business when I was in college. Like, hey, the best way to prepare yourself for. Um, some kind of ethical situation at work is think about how you're going to handle it before it comes up. So hopefully this helps at least if you end up in the situation, you thought about how to handle this. What would you do if you were in this situation? So when it comes up, you've already had some thoughts about it and maybe you'll make a good decision. 
Absolutely. So, and I think the other thing to point out too, there he's this is like a two hour video, so we're playing just a few clips and from it's it. One of like four, <laughs> and it stretches email thread for like months. And essentially, this lady is like, "Can you define what you mean by sovereignty?" And then it's emails upon emails upon emails, not answering that question. And what he really is is because he is a Calvinist. When he says sovereignty, he doesn't mean king. He means determinism. And he won't just say, I believe determinism. And I think Kevin talks about that. I'm not sure if I have the cl- we have the clip pulled up. He but might talk about it in the next one, I think. Yeah, it, but it's, it's crazy because she just asks, what do you mean by sovereignty? Like, can you just define that so that way she knows, are you a Calvinist or not? And these ladies are, like, handling this so graciously because I think you and I would have pulled the pin on that grenade a long, long time yeah, ago. they're very kind ladies. And he actually has them on for an interview, really good interview. Yeah, it was really cool. But just just keep that in mind. She's just going to be asking, define what you mean by sovereignty, how you said it in that sermon. And it's going to be pulling deacons, talk about all these different things. And it's talking about a lot of topics and ideas and issues that she's not asking about. She's not asking for a Calvinism versus Arminianism versus whatever debate. She's just asking, define that word so I understand what you mean by it. And then you can see where the lies kind of begin. Pastor James, yes, thank you. We loved the fireworks and thank you for getting back to me. Notice that other email was July 8th, July 7th, and then here we are July 10th, so apparently there was some kind of July 4th celebration that they're referencing. <clears throat> My basic question was about what you said you we would proclaim as a church as far as the debate that has gone on for thousands of years, we will proclaim. Now, it might be worth listening to this again for the sake of this video. Okay, let me see if I can find that spot. Now, I do want to quickly point out, this happens all the time whenever you start debating with somebody on this or like pressing against your church on this. They will always deflect, well, this has been debated for thousands of years. So it's weird, and he might point this out too, but I've noticed this as well. You have people who are like, no, no, it's debated for thousands of years. You know, we're not going to sit here. Basically, it's their way of saying, no one's been able to completely figure it out. People have been on all sides. There's no sense of debating it. And just you can have your beliefs and it's fine. And it's no big deal. And they kind of say that to get you to try to shut up about it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're going to keep pushing their own view. Yeah. And this has been like a, a habit where, you know, it's like you kind of, you tell them, oh, don't worry about it, while you are still going to stealthily move on your agenda and move on the ground, while you're telling the other person not to worry about it because it's been debated for thousands of years. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not, they're still worried about it, like, right? They're still pushing for it, but they're telling you not to worry about it. So that way you could just lay, play, basically play dead and they could take over your church's doctrine. Mm-hmm. And this happens with a lot of groups. Like this is a very, it is a very popular thing to do. However, this has been a thing that's been happening a lot with the Reformed, and it's very strange. Like that's what happened with the SBC that got, kind of got hijacked a lot. There's been a lot of groups that have, um, what is that? There's a big one. What Mike Winger is part of it. I forget. But yeah, uh, there's been a lot of that that's gone on. So, all right. Anyway. Listen to this pastor. The free will of man, and some of you lean very heavily on the sovereignty of God. As long as you reconcile, reconcile as a church. Okay, back it up a little bit. Some of I find too much joy in arguing with you on either side here. Now notice that. I find too much joy in arguing with you on either side. Sounds like an invitation, a willingness to talk about it. Here's what I will say, and here's what we will proclaim as a church. Some of you lean very heavily. Now notice, here's what we will proclaim as a church. So this would cause you to raise your eyebrows. I have a Calvinist infiltrating pastor telling me what our church, new church position is, just dictating it like a Catholic pope. 
Here's what I will say, and here's what we will proclaim as a church. Some of you lean very heavily on the free will of man, and some of you lean very heavily on the sovereignty of God. What about those of us who lean very heavily on the authority of Scripture? What about those? You see, that false dichotomy doesn't apply to us. I do want to touch on that one thing, because it's one of those areas where I disagree with Kevin. Um, even though, yes, of course, if we lean heavily on the free will and everything, the only thing would, would I have an issue in general when everyone just says, I disagree with you, I believe the Bible. Because if you ask a Calvinist the same thing, that's exactly what they're going to say. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I don't whole believe that. I just believe the Bible. They mm-hmm. always say that. In fact, they came up in our meeting with a, with a situation that happened at my church. Yeah. Or um, talk to a King James Onlyist. Right. Well, I just they will the just Bible. grasp it and yell that at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, however, right here when he says, and this is what we will proclaim as a church, if as soon as I hear that ever behind the pulpit, I do raise my eyebrows. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, are we now? Like, I, had, I didn't agree to that. Like, mm-hmm. Or maybe I did. Who knows? But what you're about to say, you better tread very carefully. Now, I do agree with Kevin, though, that it is a false dichotomy that you lean on this way or this way. And I think Kevin's dead on accurate when he says the only person that operates in that dichotomy are Calvinists. Yeah. Because there's a lot of in between, right? There's Calvinism. Then there's like open theism with free will. There's provisionism, Thomism, Molinism, and every other ism in between and different variations thereof. And um, unlike Kevin here, I actually think yeah, Kevin also does, isn't very big on labels. Now, this is one of those things where I do want to just talk to him about it. Now, we're going to have him on, uh, and it's going to be a great time because I think him and I have more common ground. Uh, we have yeah. a lot of common ground, but also I think we have some areas where I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't say that. But And I'd be curious just to kind of you know, talk to him about it. Think we found someone more punchy than us. <laughs> we did find someone more punchy than us, which I didn't know existed. So yep. this is fun. Congratulations. Um, but he actually also has some really good stuff, by the way, on character growth and psychology. He's actually some really good stuff. Kevin's, Kevin's no dummy. I actually really like him. But um, this is one of those areas where he's right, where that dichotomy is something only Kelvinists need to use. And I do think labels are helpful because those labels are exactly how we can easily define things. Yeah. Not saying you have to affirm every little thing within that label, but like, for example, if we're using the label Calvinists, you know what Calvinists believe. Okay, well then that's a helpful label. There are other labels then that can be helpful as well just to kind of spare you from can you give me a, an hour lecture on what your soteriological method is when at the end you could have just said, I'm a Calvinist or I'm a Thomist. Oh, okay, cool. I yeah. And then, I, then if you're familiar with the debate and you're curious, you go, so are you like – a super lapsarian Calvinist, or are you, uh, you know, you could, yeah, then you can start flesh out the more specifics. Well, we had that on your the penal substitutionary uh, Toman debate that you had, yeah. And one lady she affirmed penal substitution, and the other guy wouldn't really say what he affirmed. And then when I think one of our audience actually asked, So, where would you go to study more about this? He goes, The Bible, <laughs> right? And I was just like, Come on, dude, like. And, and it was funny because also Courtney uh, in that debate affirmed PSA. She says she affirms it, but then she completely redefines it. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is why labels can be helpful, and it's also why you should be careful before you redefine things. So it was a it was a really interesting debate to be kind of moderating because I was just like, wow, it's, it was part of it. Part of me was like, this is kind of a dumpster fire, but also kind of shows what happens when there's a when there's miscommunication and imprecision happening. To that portion of the sermon, uh, Debbie's saying, my basic question was about what you said we should proclaim as a church as far as the debate that has gone on for thousands of years. And by the way, that 
that whole issue of the debate that's gone on for thousands of years, that is also a subtle Calvinist brainwashing tactic. Okay? They make it sound like this debate has gone on for thousands of years, and therefore it's really not worth bringing up. But you know what? They will keep up their campaign. It's just like if you're dealing with anyone on, like, you know, the a, any issue, pro-life even, like, or pro-choice. Like, well, I think that we should – I think, you know, really what it comes down to is we just need to help mothers. And you go – and you know, help people. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. But then think, what they really mean is, like, I really don't want to take a stance on abortion. <laughs> like, I really don't want to protect yeah. the unborn. It's kind of the same concept where it's like you're, you're deflecting away so you can kind of keep doing your thing. And that's not helpful. Right? Yeah. You need to be able to be direct on what you believe. Like, if you're, if you're a pastor and you preached a message and you're using terminology and somebody comes to you and goes, what do you mean by that word? And you go... I'm not answering that. <laughs> you shouldn't be a pastor. Like yeah. this, 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 in my mind, I'm like, this is completely like this. These people should be fired if you're going to be that avoided. Like if you're, if you're going to treat every topic like that with such avoidance, you shouldn't be a pastor. You should, you should be let go because clearly you don't have, you know, the backbone to stand up to where you, be, what you believe and be able to defend it and articulate it. Because yeah. if you truly think what you're saying is true, you wouldn't apologize for it, and you certainly wouldn't avoid it. Yeah, we talked about this with a lot with the IFB with the phrase "thought terminating cliche," and that's what this is—a thought terminating cliche. It's like stop thinking. I'm not going to let you debate this with me. I'm not going to talk about this with you. It's not going to be settled, but I'm going to still do what I'm going to do. Or when someone says, "Stop being judgmental," well, they're free to be judgmental. Just you need to stop. So right. it's it's not applying the standard to themselves, but they want to only apply it to you. And this is the cause of a lot of church splits. Right. It absolutely destroys churches and destroys relationships. Now, look. notice his response here. He says, hey, Debbie, you should have received an auto reply that I'm on vacation. However, since we have exhausted the conversation regarding the issue you're bringing up, I'm, hold, I'm including Dan Henkel on this email so you can address any concerns with him and uh, with the other deacons who have been uh, included in this discussion. So I'm not going to lie. When I see that, I instantly, because again, you're not answering the simple question. You're avoiding. And now you're like, I'm including these other people. What this is going to instantly communicate to your church member is that the pack of wolves are starting to surround you. Mm -hmm. That's what I would be picking up on. Like, oh, oh, we're making moves against me. I'm including so-and-so, I'm including the so-and-so, all the other deacons. Now it feels like you're being encircled. Now this doesn't this no longer feels like a friendly inquiry. Does that am I making sense there? No, you're right. And if 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 we would apply Matthew 18 to the situation, which I wouldn't necessarily say that this pastor's sinning against her directly, but more sinning against the church and, and just being untruthful. But remember the first step of Matthew 18 to confront them individually. And it's up to you as the person bringing the complaint to then bring in other parties if they're not listening to you. But what he's doing as the one who's being accused is now bringing along other parties to essentially gang up on the one saying, hey, you're sinning against me. So it's actually it's actually taking Matthew 18 and spinning on its head. Right. And she asks in her email here, um, it, it, she's really direct. She literally goes like, point one, God's sovereign, which means what you know, in this situation? And then she goes, we are responsible for our sin. So my question is, 
what basically what is the definition of sovereignty? If you mean determinism, that God ordains all the things we do. Uh, no, it's just like if it do, you don't mean sovereignty as in God, determinism and all the things we do. So if you don't mean that, then why is there a mystery here that you're referring to? So it's just kind of in a nice way, kind of calling his bluff. Like mm-hmm. if you if you don't mean sovereignty, then why are you punting to mystery? Uh, what are you doing? You like, mean de- what do you mean? What? If you don't mean determinism. Yeah, if you don't mean determinism, then what you do you mean by that? And so why is there even a mystery at all? <laughs> because a normal person goes, sovereignty means king and ruler, mm-hmm. not a micromanager. So that is, a, and of course, then he just goes, as regards to the matter, I'm just including so and so, we've exhausted the conversation. It's like, no, no, you've deflected the entire conversation and you're refusing to answer a direct question. That is a huge problem for a pastor. I made the mistake once when a young when a guy in our church asked me a direct question when I was first pastor and it was my first issue and the way he asked was very aggressive and I deflected. And later on I went back to him and we had a conversation about it and I told him directly and I apologized for not being upfront and honest with him originally. And uh, he was very upset with my answer, as I knew he would be, but I realized later it was a mistake, right? And then ever since then, I was just like, I'm just going to be bluntly honest with my beliefs all the time if somebody asks me. And yeah, it definitely upset some people, but also it was a lot of people like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for just telling yeah, me that. You're uh, being honest. Yeah, that was helpful. Thank you. And uh, then also, a lot, you know, what's funny is that help people defend me too and lobby for me because they're like, look, I, I might not agree with him, but this is his logic. This is what he said. What's the, that's not that big of a deal. Deflection is a tool to avoid answering a question directly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Be careful when you do it to anyone. Debbie responds, hi, Dan. Thank you so much for emailing me. I appreciate it. I was not sure you saw my question. It was regarding God's sovereignty and free will, but it was his topic, not something I just brought up. So she's not just on a campaign to to seek and destroy based on this topic. She's not just probing people because she's got she's obsessed with this topic. She was just listening to the sermon and Florida man brought it up. Okay? Florida man brought it up. So she's responding to what he brought up and she wants to know exactly what he meant. What did Florida man see mean when he said sovereignty versus free will? What exactly did he mean? That's what she's trying to find out. But it was his topic, not something I just brought up. James even said, imagine how frustrating it is to be wanting to deal with his topic that he brought up and being referred to a deacon. Imagine how frustrating that is for her. And like, imagine, that's also, a that is, that's a dishonest bully tactic too, by the mm-hmm. way. And also just communicates you're not important. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Um, and yeah. Like she said, this is his topic. Like he brought it up. I'm asking for clarification. And now I'm over here talking to you. It's like when you're on the phone with uh, customer service and they forward you to 16 departments and you end up going back to the original department you started with. And you're like, what is happening? Like I had that today on the phone with, (laughs) I was calling a hotel to try to change a reservation and she wouldn't do it. I was like, okay, can I talk to supervisor? And she goes, no, they're not available for a phone call. I was like, they don't have a phone? She goes, no. I was like, you're in a call center and your supervisor can't answer the phone? That's right. Well, I'm at home. I'm not in a call center. I was like, oh, so you don't have the ability to transfer to her? She goes, no, I do, but she doesn't have a phone. I was like, okay. Well, I need to talk to the supervisor. She goes, actually, I am the supervisor. I'm like, okay. Is the supervisor not have a phone or are you the supervisor? <laughs> like, stop lying to me. It's really frustrating. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was today. Jeez. And then it's like, then this should not be the way our churches operate. Like, I don't care where you are on this topic. This is not how they should operate. Mm-hmm. You should operate with honesty, integrity, decency. And even, even if you're like, I mean, determinism, I, I believe Calvinism is true. However, like I said in my sermon, some of you lean heavily on determinism. Some of us, you lean heavily on uh, the free will of man. Look, all I care about is that people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can bring in like a little unity message in the middle. Now, granted, I still say all the time I would not go to a Calvinist church. It's not because I hate Calvinists. It's just because I know I, I, I will be cringing 50% of the time. <laughs> and they will be cringing at me 50% of the time. It's not a good relationship. <laughs> That's why they have the Reformed Church and the Presbyterian Church. So they can have their little spot and I have my spots, right? It's not because we hate each other. It's not because we can't work in unity with each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's Just like you'd cringe at an IFB church. <laughs> yes. There's been plenty of, yeah, in an IFB church. I cringe at most churches I'm at it to some degree or other. What I try to do is just make sure I go to a place where I cringe less <laughs> you know, like where I'm like, okay, I disagree with that, but it's not the worst take in the world. Um, yeah, we eat our own dog food quite a bit and yeah. as ecumenical as possible. Yeah, like I really do try to be ecumenical, but at the same time, there's a point in time where I'm like, I know we don't get along. I just know that's not a good thing. And it's mainly because of the implication. You and I have already talked about this plenty of times. The implications of Calvinism is really where it gets to and the inconsistencies mm-hmm. thereof. Now, granted, by the way, that we're going to tease this now. Brian and I will start in our, the near future working on an actual uh, series that him and I want to go through the tulip mm-hmm. and actually break it down, what they believe, what text they use, and then our responses to them. Because Brian was raised as a, in tulip, and we've done King James Onlyism for me. We've done all these others, and we've like talked around Calvinism. David Palman and I talked about a book for a while, but Brian and I haven't actually just tackled the topic directly. So that's coming. So that's going to be coming. So this is going to be, this episode will be a segue. You got a self Calvinist in your church, then here's the passages that you can go to. So getting back to me and sharing, I'm not sure we can ever resolve this issue to anyone's satisfaction. Yes, you can tell me whether or not you mean determinism by sovereignty. Do you mean determinism by sovereignty? Yes or no. You could do that in a lot less than two weeks. Okay. I'm not sure we can ever resolve this issue to anyone's satisfaction. What he means is I can't keep up my brainwashing and have pl- maintain plausible deniability and give you a straight answer. That's what he means. This is a rabbit hole issue that takes many different turns. No, it doesn't. Sovereignty means determinism or it doesn't. Not a rabbit hole issue. That's a lie. That's an obfuscating lie. There's obfuscation right there. No reason for that obfuscation. This is a rabbit hole issue that takes many different turns and twists that creates confusion and dissension. The reason it causes confusion and dissension is because of all the logical contradictions therein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why people get so turned and spun around and just messed up on this topic. Because as soon as you start trying to justify like Calvinistic beliefs, it just gets... That's why Calvinists themselves deflect to mystery. Because... There are so many contradictions that they just have to say it's mysterious. They can't be honest. But I do want to talk about that, that plausible deniability. That's really important because it's really important to be able to just go, well, I didn't say what I was. So you're maintaining a plausible deniability. You're maintaining that plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really important for you. And again, you and I experience it at our own church. 
right in front of our very eyes. And it was it was actually like that moment where I'm like, oh, so this is what that feels like. Yeah, it's very similar to this. Yeah, and it does not, it's not a good feeling. And I, I, I tell you what, when you're seeing it in front of you, it'll do one of two things to you. One, it'll shock you because you're just like, I can't believe someone would be this dishonest. The other thing it'll do is it'll make you right mad. I mean, it'll just make you so angry because you know, and they're just maintaining plausible deniability and obfuscating. And it's a, that's, a, that's a problem. Yeah. Good morning, Debbie. I think that Dan and the group articulated this well, and I don't have anything to add to his email. Really? How about tell me what you meant by the word sovereignty on July 3rd? Because that email did not address the question. And none of them are answering the questions she asked. None of them. I have been clear and consistent that I agree with this tension in scriptures and the remaining urgency to share the gospel. Tension between what? You haven't defined the term sovereignty. You haven't been clear about it. Do you mean determinism? For clarity during the sermon, I said that I could have a very knowledgeable conversation with people who land on both sides of this issue could you have a knowledgeable conversation? Because you haven't shown me you're very knowledgeable yet. You've just deflected. Mm-hmm. That's all that's coming to mind on this. I was like, we're going to have a very knowledgeable conversation. Really? Because so far you sound like you're a liar and you're dumb because you can't be like to put it frankly, right? Like you clearly must not know what you're talking about if you can't answer the question. So either you're dumb and you can't answer the question. Um, because you're dumb, you're ignorant and haven't actually studied this. So you don't actually know, mm-hmm. which by the way, dumb and ignorant are different, different things, right? Or you're a liar. <laughs> those, are, those are your options at this point. So, I just love the last sentence here. I, I'm here. If you or Richard ever need anything, she wants, she needs something right now. Right? She needs a definition of what you mean by sovereignty. Maybe a, maybe answer the question from two weeks ago. Like what blows me away is that this email thread is going this long. Mm-hmm. And like she hasn't like just exploded on him in there and just like called it out. And I don't know if you know, like actually, no, you watched the whole series like I did. Mm-hmm. I think the series is still ongoing. But they got, these women ended up getting kicked out of the church for this. For daring to question the Pope, I mean, pastor, uh, for the daring, man of God, right? For daring to go, wait, we never taught this before, and no one's answering, and they got kicked out because they went to Kevin with this, mm-hmm. and they and he put it on the internet for all to see as an example. Now, you might not like that, like, I don't want my church's business out all over the place on the internet. But when you are not getting any direct answers, and I'm not saying you have to, like, I hate cancel culture, right? Like, I hate cancel culture. I hate putting everyone's dirt all the time in front of everyone's. Like, there's everything. It's, there's something in everyone's personal life that they don't want mm-hmm. the entire public to know, right? That's not this, though. <laughs> this, is a pre- this is a church that's not being honest about their positions. Mm-hmm. And that is lying continually throughout. Like, that's what they're being exposed in here. So, and I think if a church is doing that, it has every right to be a warning beacon to the rest of the world saying, this place will not be honest with you. They're liars. And until they repent of that, now keep in mind, I'm not saying he has to, he's no longer able to pastor any church ever, but what he needs to do is he needs to repent so he can qualify again and just go to a reformed church where he belongs. Because this church said, like, specifically, they were not looking for a Calvinist. Yeah, and the friend of ours that had this happen to him too was, it was a couple 
elders that actually went in and found a Calvinist pastor as part of a search community to in with the intention of trying to change the doctrine of the church. So I, I don't know if that happened here, but there does seem to be, and at least um, he'll mention this on the channel, that he's, he, he thinks that there are some elders or deacons on the 70 deacon board that are in on this whole thing, that they're trying to install Calvinism in the church, um, so they're also being dishonest. And it just takes a couple of them, and then I think he's saying that's the ones that he's pulling into the into the this email chain so that they can back him up, essentially, instead of someone else going, hey, what do you, yeah, no, but what do you mean by sovereignty, Pastor? That just, just answer a question. Um, and that's why I think, too, if you're going to serve on a board of a church, if you're going to be an elder or deacon, you need to understand some of these topics. You need to you need to be in the Word. You need to be actually studying some of these doctrines. You need to understand what the words are, where tension can be, where tension is not, and just be well-versed in it so that when it comes up, you actually know how to address it. So what all this comes down to is a, a strategy we're seeing, actually. This is why it's a problem with Calvinists. Because let's be honest, if you're not a Calvinist, the Calvinist doctrine is very offensive to a lot of people, right? That's why it's a very divisive topic, because you're dealing with how exactly are you saved and how exactly does God's will work in your life? Because if everything, every evil tragedy is the, by the will of God, then it means when someone dies in a car accident, God's will. If your child was murdered, God's will. I mean, this key can keep going where it's like, well, it's the will of God, man. Like, who are you, oh man, to question God? So a lot of people have real issue with that. Now, of course, the Calvinist side is like, well, if God wills everything that comes to pass, then at least there's meaning behind it. We don't might not see it from here, but at least mm-hmm. there's meaning behind it. Um, which I think you can have meaning and tragedy without having God willing tragedy. But anyway, that's a topic for another time. Um, but <laughs> then the other thing is, is uh the implications of, do I even have free will? And if I don't have free will, how can I be held responsible for the wrong things I do? See, a lot of people get this wrong where it's like Calvinists will say it's because people who don't affirm Calvinism worship their free will and they want to be freed. And it's not because we want to be free to do whatever we want. It's because we want to be free so we don't incriminate God and we take proper responsibility. That's what it comes down to. If determinism is true, then I was determined to act poorly. Therefore... How can I be held responsible? I didn't have a choice. That's one of the big things. So that's why Calvinism, well, one of the many reasons why people have issues with Calvinism find it so offensive, which is why I say it's an, that's an okay topic to just go, the reform can have theirs and then everyone else cannot because they, fi- they find it one way, we find it another. It's really difficult to fi- make those things come together. You have to have some very mature people and, or some people who actually know the topic well enough to, if they're going to disagree, to come together and be able to work ecumenically with a particular strategy, right? Like I'm part of the talk about doubts team that has Calvinists on it. Guillaume Bignon is part of it. He's a big Calvinist, but when he presents uh, the reason, the problem of evil, I've seen him do it. He presents both sides and he goes, here are the two major views in Christianity. And then if someone asks him, what do you think? He's like, well, I'm on this side of the, uh, the aisle, but a lot of people are also on that side that are respectable. I'm like that's a great way to handle it. Then you're yeah. not, you can say, you can plant your flag, say this is what I believe, but also, this is a viable option for you as well. Please be a Christian. Yeah. You know? And to be fair and gracious to the Calvinists and the non-Calvinists, the Cal- both sides believe that they hold God to have him be the most sovereign that they can conceive of. And they also think that they're holding man 
responsible for their sin to the maximum amount. They both think that. And that's why when they hear each other talk, they're like, no, the connotation of what you say is letting man off the hook and is is not making God sovereign. They both will say that. Right. And the thing is, and that, the problem is who's the one who's the most consistent? Who's the one who actually has the consistency? And that's where like reductio comes into. Like, let's reduct that. Let's bring this down to some reduction and bring this down to the absurd. Like, what is it that you're actually saying? You can say all day long, I don't, aff- well, I don't believe that God's the author of evil. Well, do you believe God ordained the fall of man and God determines all things that come to pass? Yeah, absolutely. Then he's the author of evil. No, I don't believe that. Okay, you can say it all day long, but you still haven't demonstrated how that doesn't follow, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you have to show, de- you have to demonstrate how something does not follow, right? Just like if I'm an open theist and I say God doesn't know the future. And uh, then they're like, well, then your God's not omniscient. And I go, well, no, he knows all things that are possible to know. And then, like, well, then how does he possibly know the future at all if he doesn't know the future? Then I go, I don't know. Uh, then you're like, well, then your God's not really omniscient. Or you could just go, well, God doesn't really know all things in, it, in your mind. You have to demonstrate as an open theist, right, how that omniscience works. You have to redefine omniscience or something to go on with that. Um, you get the point. So here's what Nine, Nine Marks put out a horrible article. So Nine Marks... Uh, there's like a, there's a, a thing in the community with the Calvinists of like a five year plan on basically how to transform a church into a Calvinist church. Um, you, you can look it up, but Nine Marks put out this article written by P.J. Tibian, and this is what it says: "Are you a Calvinist?" asked the interim pastor who was guiding the pastoral search committee, considering me. If you're a Calvinist, then this candidacy is over now. So first off, in order for it to reach that point, it's either he's being very honest, like, hey, just so you know, we're not hiring a Calvinist, or he may have picked up on the fact that this guy was bounced around some things and was just like, uh, if you, this is the case, then you're done, right? Uh, then he, this is his response. It's like, well, how would you answer that question? As a seven-point Calvinist, five points wasn't enough, <laughs> right? As a seven-point Calvinist, I answered, what do you mean by Calvinist? He replied, by Calvinist, I mean you only share the gospel with the elect and you don't need to pray for people's salvation because it's already determined. So um, he said, then he goes, says this, based on that definition, I replied, no, I am not a Calvinist. Four months later, I was installed as their pastor. And he's saying that this in the title of this article is preach the Bible, not Calvinism. This is why I say I have an issue with that people just go, well, no, I just believe the Bible because that's what they're saying. Oh, I'm pre- not, mm-hmm. I'm not preaching Calvinism. I'm preaching the Bible. I mean, I disagree because I think the Bible disagrees with Calvinism, but that's not a helpful reduction of saying I just believe the Bible because yeah. that's what everyone says. It's a, it's a I, I think it's a lazy way to try to to dodge things or to to get more into the nitty gritty. However, here notice how he base he he lied. And what's even crazier is when we tweeted this article out, it was like, this, these people are teaching and encouraging people to lie to take over churches. There were people who defended it on Twitter. One guy named Brother Matthew says, if I was an actual Calvinist, I was given that definition of Calvinism, I would deny it as well. We don't know who the elect are, so we preach to all men that elect that the elect might be saved is proper Calvin doctrine, not the straw man presented here. And 
he went on to say, and so I asked him, he's like, I was like, I mentioned that he lied. He's like, no one lied except the search committee. Now, keep in mind, the interim pastor may have asked that, and the interim pastor, was that a very good way to define Calvinism? No, okay? But some people don't know how to define things, and some people are ignorant, really, of the topic. Or he might have gone down what he thought was the reduction of Calvinism, okay? And so I mentioned that. I was like, this is a lie. And he goes, no one lied except the search committee, which means that the search committee is the one who intentionally lied. When the article admitted that he knew what he was as a seven-point Calvinist and dodged the question and said, based on that definition, I'm not. When you knew exactly what – he knew exactly what they were trying to drive at. Then you played off their ignorance so you could take over. That's a dirty, dirty move. Like I'm not going to get into someone where they have to accept all the premises. Like if they ask me, Will, do you deny penal substitutionary atonement? And I'm like, what do you mean by penal substitutionary atonement? Do you deny that Jesus Christ paid for our sins? I'd go, well, based on that definition, no, I don't deny PSA. Uh, Yes, I do deny PSA. Yeah, you'd say, I do deny it, but this is actually the differentiator with PSA. Yeah, yeah, but actually that's not an accurate way to define it. This is what it would be. This is how you define that incorrectly. This is how I would define that. I hope that can help kind of clear up Mm -hmm. the misunderstanding there. And perhaps now you won't think I'm as crazy. That's just being straightforward and honest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So So it gives you a bad definition. You don't say, yep, I guess by that definition I'm not it. Just say, no, I wouldn't go with that definition. Yeah, exactly. Um and then this other guy, Chad, said on Twitter, of course, it's a Chad. <laughs> you are right. The guy going for the job told the truth. The search committee are in the wrong. God and only God knows his elect. So Calvinists even are defending it. And it just blows my mind that it's like, since when are we okay as Christians with lying? Enough of that segment. Um you can check out Kevin's entire series. It's been really good. Um, there's like a few things I'd quibble about with Kevin. That's it. Like there's there's a lot of things he says that are very good. Um, now here's the bottom line. We experience this very thing in our own church. So, and I want to be careful with this because uh, it is my church and I love them. Um, but this was an experience we had. And what, the, the long story short is this. Our pastor was gone for multiple months on a missions trip. And so we had interim speakers. And we had this one guy. I got to meet him. I was a, an elder member. I got to meet him, and he was a really great older guy. And, uh, you know, he, when he gave messages, you felt like you were having Bible story time with Grandpa, and it was great. <laughs> Everyone felt like they are wrapped in a warm, fuzzy hug. And then they said, we're going to have this other guy come in, an old friend of the church, uh, he's great. And so we never, I never got to meet him. And even though I'm a newer like board member, I never got to meet him or talk to him or ask questions to this guy. So I was like, okay, well, he must be pretty solid if like we're not having a special board meeting with this guy. So cool. No big deal. His first week there, uh, Micah, who's been on here, uh, also was like, that guy's a Calvinist. And I was like, I think you're right. And so many events unfolded with this. But I want to point this out a little bit because what ended up happening was his first sermon. And if you know the language, you know the language, right? Like the Calvinism, Calvinists use certain language when preaching that it's like Christianese, but they mean something different. Kind of like when a Jehovah's Witness says, we believe Jesus is Lord. A Trinitarian means, I mean, Lord as in the authority of the universe as in God. And when they see Lord, they just mean like kind of a general ruler who's not really God, mm-hmm. right? They use the same word, totally different definition. 
Same thing happens with Calvinists, but also you'll notice a lot of times there's like this weird emphasis of like how terrible of a sinner you are and how you can't save yourself. There's a lot of emphasis on that. And then there's a lot of emphasis on um, grace. As opposed to having faith, there's a lot of emphasis on grace because grace they redefine. So when I say we are saved by grace, grace in that sense, in my mind, is acting favorably toward you. You are saved by God acting favorably towards mankind and sending his son. What they mean is giving you salvation that you don't deserve. And it's irresistible grace. You cannot resist God's grace if he has selected you, right? That's what they mean. So like, and there, so there's this weird language, and when you're familiar with it, you can pick up real quickly, usually if, if uh, someone's a Calvinist or not, and the average pew sitter has no idea. Yeah, like one phrase I'll use is, see if you can search yourself and see if you find yourself in Christ. Right. That's another one. It's, not not, like, it's essentially discover if you're elect, not that you, if you have faith, but see if you're in Christ. Yeah. Are you in Christ today? Have you prayed? Have you looked into yourself? Have you prayed? Have you looked to God and found yourself in Christ? And they'll say that term, like, found yourself in Christ. Like, whoops, how'd I end up here? Um, so, <laughs> Surprise, Christian. Yeah. So what was happening is so there's not this entire message. I remember I was, like, leaning forward with, like, a slight squint because my church is not Calvinist. Like... Now, granted, my church is very confused on some of these topics because it's honestly never preached or taught on, really. I taught on it in my class. So it was funny, my, my, my theology class, they all picked up on it, too, right away because they had been taught these different things. And they were, the people who attended the class were able to pick up on it right away. Most everyone else was like, uh, completely, completely clueless. Then at the end of the message, this, this uh, pastor, our interim pastor, it was like, oh, he quotes Tim Keller. And he goes, I love Tim Keller. And there are two different Tim Keller fans in my, in my experience. Those who are Reformed and like him because he's a Calvinist, or those who kind of like his more C.S. Lewis general Christianity writings. Which fan are you? You know what I mean? Like, if you like mm-hmm. Tim Keller, which fan are you? And I instantly, like, so I raised eyebrows because all up to this point he had it. And then the, the quote was something, and I saw the tweet too when he, uh, Tim tweeted it. So it's something like, people aren't, argue, aren't won over to the faith through arguments, they're, argue, they're brought over by love or something. Kind of one of those like Christianese fluff statements, but not really true because people are brought over to the faith through argument as well. So um, that's what apologetics is. Anyway, that was like my first clue where I was like, I think this guy's a Calvinist. And then the second message came and it was, I'm like, oh, this guy is without a doubt a Calvinist. Let's roll the clip. Last week, I said, and it bears repeating because it's a hard truth. It's so foreign to how we think. I said last week, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Huh? Sinners is what we are. We're born sinners, and out of what we are comes our sinful acts and deeds. That right there instantly made me go, okay, (laughs) because if we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners, then I'm born guilty. I'm born evil. I'm born in rebellion against God. And it's worth stating, this is what he just said is actually against the church's doctrinal statement. Right. It, it, yeah, it, it, it is, because the, uh, the, uh, the church's doctrinal statement said we're sinners by nature and by choice. 
which means that this here says you don't have a choice. Because, right? You're already a sinner. You're already a sinner. So I was like, okay, this is Calvinism. Also, it's nonsense because you can't say you are something like, okay, Will, you are a mur- you're a murderer because you're a murderer. You murder because you're a murderer. No, no, I'm a murderer because I murdered somebody. I committed the crime that made me the descriptor. Someone's right? going to edit that out later. That's going to be fun. <laughs> What? That you're saying you're a murderer. <laughs> why are you di- why are you so diabolical? <laughs> you don't need to be this evil. But you know, like you don't say, well, you're do you steal because you're a thief? No, no. I'm a thief because I stole, right? I'm fat because I ate. I, I don't just become fat, right? Like I'm not the it's it's a logically contradictory view of nature, of anthropology right here. Which is why the Bible says, he who knows to do good but does not do it to him, it is sin. Sin occurs when one is born, when one is conceived. No, sin occurs when one is drawn away by their own desires. Unless you don't agree with the book of James. And acts upon them, then, of course, death and sin. Yeah, this statement disagrees with the book of James and all the Bible is descriptors on how sin works. Mm-hmm. No part of the Bible does it say you're born evil and no part of the Bible says you are a sinner. Oh, it's hard, hard for me to even say it right because <laughs> it's so backwards. That you're a... Uh, that you sin and sin, then become... That, yeah, you sin because you're a, a sinner, sinner, not you're a sinner because you sin. There's mm-hmm. no part of the Bible that says that. This is... And this is what I've been... like. It, it's been on my mind a lot lately. This is what happens when you use your systematic theology to read... Scripture. And this happens all the time. People read it with their little preconceived lenses on and they don't let the text breathe. I've had to like deconstruct a thousand views and reconstruct my views because I realized I was inserting things that were, did not belong into the text. This is a normal thing. And I normally would just, and for me, I, I, I do tend to be pretty gracious when it comes to someone. Like I listen to people I disagree with all the time and say, I don't say a word. This was one that about made me like flip out of my seat because I was like, this is so backwards. And anyone who knows what the scripture teaches would be able to identify that. Or if nothing else, again, this would be, be, go well in a Reformed church. But if nothing else, it shouldn't be something that like someone like an interim pastor you would think would say, right? Like I'm coming into this church and I don't pastor this church. I'm here as a guest. Maybe I shouldn't talk about things I could split churches, like just keep it nice and simple. Nope, nope, we're all nope, in. Touch the third rail. <laughs> right, and it gets worse. This gets worse, all right? Let's listen to the rest. We like to think babies are, are born innocent, you know, especially when they've had a bath, you know, and they're all nicely diapered and powdered and they have their little onesie on, you know, and they're cooing. And uh, I mean, what in this world, really, in this world is is more innocent and more wonderful than that. Huh? But the innocence we, we think we see in babies isn't really innocence, it's inability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, mom, right? Right? <laughs> Not a mom, but you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Any mom will tell you. Yeah. It's inability. Huh? In that little heart, there's already a sinful, rebellious Will, just waiting for the moment to control itself. You put little Sammy or Susie to bed and 
And they're screaming their head off to make you think and the neighbors think that they're suffering. But they're fed and they're clean and there's no diaper pins sticking into them. That sweet little kid is trying to manipulate you into picking them up. Huh? And the better coordinated and mobile and verbal they become, the more rebellious they show themselves to be. And the amazing thing is, no one had to teach them. It just comes out of who they are. We're all born that way. And we start off with just little things because we can't do much else. But our sins just increase. Oof. So I'll give you guys a minute to vomit. Um, <laughs> this, this, this is a real problem right here. There's so many things that went wrong on that. First off, a baby crying is not manipulative. There are people who have literally killed their children because they said that their child was evil. I have heard and seen this doctrine used to abuse children because, well, I've got to beat the devil out of them mm -hmm. because they're evil. Now, granted, do sometimes babies cry? Do sometimes they get upset? Do sometimes they want you to pick them up? Yes. But let's be honest, a baby who doesn't have skin to skin, they know it's going to die. It will die just pure negligence of emo no, no contact with humanity. Even if you, ha if you put food and everything in it, uh, babies will even pass. That is not true. It's, it's simply not true. Yeah. And How then, do you differentiate it? Where's the difference? Where's the difference between a baby crying because they need something versus baby crying because they're mani being manipulative? Right. In his mind, there is actually no difference. They're just being manipulative. They're just too small to, to really act out on their sin the way that they desire. When we personally talked, he goes, oh, I could have probably said that better because uh, I brought on the obvious problem with his statement. Um, so I'll give him credit there. But then, of course, nothing else was retracted ever. And that was a problem because this preaching, I never... And then the cheering was funny because there's like two people who cheered. I knew multiple people who came up to me afterwards. It's like, I almost walked out. I was so upset at that message and um and you know god bless it I, i'm glad that they didn't make a scene but at the same time like that right there is wrong it is it, it is also what do you mean like we like to believe a child is innocent you mean like in deuteronomy when it says your children who do not know good from evil you mean like the fruit of the womb is his reward no no according to this the fruit of the womb is damnation Mm -hmm. That is what this teaching is. It's not God's reward. It's not blessed is the man whose quiver is full of him. It's cursed is the man who made more evil, wicked sinners who hate God the moment they're born. No, no. This is also confusing people's inclination to sin with being born evil. Yes, a child is going to, because of the knowledge of good and evil and the weakness of the flesh, children will behave abnormally. They will do things that are incorrect. They will do things that are wrong. That's why a parent needs to train him up in the way he should go so when he's old, he will not depart from it. However, what does the Bible say that holds you accountable? It's knowledge. Read Romans. What, you constantly see the theme in Romans is knowing the law, mm -hmm. right? Those who know the law, held accountable. Those who are not, not accountable. How would I know if it was for the law? But where there is no law, there is no sin. Like, like if you read all through Romans and you, you take this systematic theology glasses off for a minute— because people even read Romans 2 as like, 
because uh, Romans 2, 14 to 15 makes very clear that those without the law will be basically judged by what they do, and it will either accuse them or excuse them. And Calvinists and others have said, well, no, it means that like internally their own actions will accuse or excuse themselves. That's what we're talking about, excusing themselves. And I'm like, that's not the context of the passage, though. It's talking about whether or not they're guilty before God, and it says that it will either accuse them or excuse them based on how they respond. That's the context of the passage. And you can't switch it to an internal conflict that's not until Romans 7. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the eternal conflict, right? The, the spirit versus the flesh of Romans 7. That's not the conflict here. Um, so if you take your systematic theology lenses off and re- you read the Romans, you find it. It's knowledge of the law. It's knowledge of right and wrong. And then James reiterates that, says, he who knows to do good, it does not do it. And then, you know, when I'm drawn away and enticed, those are the things that bring make you a sinner. And then the natural response is always, well, doesn't that mean someone could go their entire life without sinning? And the answer is yes. Why else would you be held accountable? Wasn't it not Moses who said this law is not, that this is not too difficult for you? (laughs) That's the thing Christians say all the time. Like, well, we can't hold the law. Like 613 commands, I can't do that. If you read the, the, the Mosaic law, you can actually do it. Like, you can keep Sabbath. You, you can eat kosher. We just look at it on Western views and just go, wow, that's too hard. I give up. We don't want to discipline ourselves. But <laughs> Moses straight up said, like, this isn't that hard for you. Like, and most people don't even understand the Mosaic law anyway. People seem to have this idea that the law is only there to condemn you, and that's not what it is. Um, but then was God wrong when he told Cain that sin is crouching at the door, but you must rule over it? And if you do well, well will you not be approved? Was God wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, see, and that's what I mean. Like, you have to just look at it. It's like remove your systematic lenses and just look at it for a minute clearly. And you'll just notice, like, oh, wait, yeah, God does hold us accountable. And just because it's possible that you could live your life sinless doesn't mean it's probable, right? We do this calculation all the time. Do you guys know it's possible that the world could have been self created and evolved? Do you know it's possible? Math- mathematicians have done the math. It's not good odds. No. <laughs> the odds aren't good. <laughs> like, I think they like they've likened it unto like covering the entire state of Texas, I think in two inches of quarters, coloring one like red, tossing it in the middle of the state, putting it on a blindfold, and picking it up on your first try. <laughs> like they've likened it unto that. Like that basically you could say in all intents and purposes is impossible. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's Technically, not logically impossible, right? It's not. I'm say, not saying it's a married bachelor because that's a logical yeah, contradiction. Not a contradiction, right? It's not a square circle. That's a logical contradiction. So, so therefore, it's a logical contradiction. It's logically impossible, right? This is logically possible, as according to the laws of logic, just highly improbable, which is why we're able to be held accountable. But we see, like, uh, Enoch walked with God, and God took him off the earth. And if you take out some of the oldest understandings of Enoch, oldest understandings of Enoch was that he actually walked with God his entire life and actually was righteous his entire life. And there's a lot of views, uh, if you read ancient writings and other people's commentaries, that they believe that God took him off the earth because he did so well they didn't want to fall into sin (laughs) because he never died. Right? So... Anyway, point is, this is highly Im- improbable. Or just apply it to Adam and Eve. Were they were they sinless before they sinned? Yes. Was <laughs> it possible that they not eat of the tree? If it was possible, then you affirm what I'm saying, right? Like that, it's possible to not sin. But that's why. I mean, why else would you be held accountable if it's not possible? 
right? Yeah. That, it seems like that would be just an unrealistic, unrealistic standard. God holds you accountable because you could have done otherwise, but you didn't, and therefore he holds you accountable. And he knows that this is a fallen world corrupted by sin, and therefore, and because of that, he sent his son because he acted favorably toward us and had mercy upon us. And he didn't want us to suffer that forever, and he offers us eternal life through his resurrected son. By the way, that's a nice message of hope. It, like That's a way not, nicer message of hope, which is like, you fell into sin, but God brought in the greatest rescue mission. In this view, you didn't fall into sin. You were just born in it. Mm-hmm. Born in it. Molded by it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, all right, I'm done quoting Batman. All right, okay. Um, we, so this was when I instantly went, this guy is a Calvinist. Because if you're familiar with the works of Vody Bauckham at all, mm-hmm. Vody Bauckham says a lot of the same exact things that this guy, just slightly reworded. So, with that said, I was also like, are you ripping from Vody Um So, I mean, I was sizzling about this all week because there's so many people that are upset about this. And I and our pastor was gone, but I, I, was, an, I, I was an elder um, on the board, and that was just eating me up. And then for the next, like, I don't know, few days, um, well, because it was days before, that's what it was, days beforehand, our Twitter feed was on fire with people talking about evil babies. And then I showed up to church. It was like, ah, church. And then this happened. I was like, Ugh. And then the next <laughs> few days was that. And I finally was like, I'm making a post as I do. And I made a post basically talking about how this is Gnosticism, which, by the way, it is. Mm-hmm. This is Manichaean Gnosticism. Like, uh, that, that everything worldly is evil. All things physical is, must be corrupted entirely. Um, if you read on Gnostic beliefs, Manichaean Gnosticism, it is. It's this, right? That's the root. Plenty of documentation has been levied out with this. But so I basically put out a post that said, like, I'm tired of hearing this and this idea that we're just sinners by nature. Like, I, I sin because I'm a sinner, not I'm a sinner because I sin is wrong. It's fallacious. It's asinine. It's ridiculous. Um, and here's the biblical quick answer, like the quick biblical answer. And uh, to his credit, he reached out. Um, somebody told him about about uh, said post because people don't people don't realize sometimes that we do this as well. So we're like we're on both sides all the time. Like sometimes this is pertaining to the local church, sometimes pertaining to our ministry on here. And then uh, he reached out and asked to get lunch with me. And I uh, man, now that I think about it, I should have grabbed the receipts on my phone because <laughs> it's really interesting. Because I I texted him and asked him basically, I'm like, hey. No problem. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about my post. I think we should definitely walk through some things. Um, I just have a real quick question because depending on how you, you answer the question will really depend on how I need to address this topic. Because some people just regurgitate what they've been taught their entire life. So I try to like... Yeah, you're still getting the benefit of the doubt even then. What? You're still getting the benefit of the doubt. Even right. I'm like, maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you just are saying things that you've always heard and you haven't really systematized, systematized this or thought about this. Um, so, you know, and if, if that's the case, I need to talk about Calvinism as a whole, but if you're like definitely not a Calvinist and I'm like, okay, then we just need to talk about this idea of inherited guilt and the other mm-hmm. like six views of man's nature and how the fall works with it. Okay. You know, it just depends on what I want to focus on. And he goes, no, I am not a Calvinist. And we texted a few times and then he's like, oh, I'm going to bring the intern pastor if you're okay with that. I'm like, cool. Then if that's the case, I'm bringing Brian. Because I'm now starting, like, that that was me calling it out. I'm like, this starting to feel like people are starting to try to engulf me. Mm-hmm. And our intern, he, I mean, he has only been at the church for like a year. And I don't know him very well. And I don't know his beliefs on this very well. And if I know the education of the place where he came from, they don't really address this topic very well. 
And I was like, ah, yeah, let me get Brian in there at least as a character witness. I don't really know this kid very well. And it's funny because he's like, well, I'm not really interested in meeting your friend. Well, I'm like, well, I wasn't really interested in having other people in this meeting, but here we are. Uh, so. Which is the same thing that we were looking at with the other clip where yep. you're just trying to have a one-on-one and then they're going to bring in more people. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like a pile on. Right. And so I was like, I'm not going to get outnumbered. Plus, if any, <laughs> it's also, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of unfair to bring Brian to that fight because it was like. <laughs> Me and Brian together when this you want to be maybe possibly ambush here is not going to go the way you probably want it to go. <laughs> um, sorry, Brian. I, you already knew I was using it as a secret weapon. So we get to this meeting, right? And he keeps denying it. And he said at one point in the text, like, my, some of my beliefs might crisscross with theirs, but I'm not a Calvinist. And when I hear crisscross with theirs, I'm like, that can – what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Right back to the obfuscation and plausible deniability. Because if you, that Kevin talks about, because if you just intersect with them, well, what do you mean? Like the Trinity? <laughs> <laughs> Salvation by faith? I mean, of course, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, all right. Um, do you, are you like just a solo scriptura guy, a solo Deo Gloria kind of guy? Like, what do you mean by some beliefs intersect, right? So that, that was the first sign of vagary. And I was like, okay. And then we got to the meeting. And Brian, you want to talk about the meeting for a minute? Oh, it was just, it was just, he was very upset with you. <laughs> and it, it kind of, it did not go, did not go a great way. And it was very confrontational. Um, and then when I tried, I was just kind of, I was like, I'm just inviting this meeting. I'm just going to stand here, be be silent. And then it was kind of, it, you guys weren't connecting. Um, he wasn't hearing what you're saying. So I was like, hey, let me just, this is what I think he's saying. And then he kind of, I forget exactly what he said to me, but he was like, well, then you're just stupid or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you said like, <laughs> you said the post wasn't directly attacked toward you. You're like, I read the post. That's what it was. I didn't, yep. I didn't think the post was directed at you. Like you seem to think like that you were the target of this because mm-hmm. he wasn't the target. He was just one of the many things that were going on. Just an example. One of many of the things that we're, we were dealing with in this public ministry of ours there. He's like, you weren't the target. You were just one of the many things that kind of coincided with, with said post. And, uh, and, uh, then he's like, well, if you don't believe that, then you're just stupid. And I'm like, um, okay. So that seems inappropriate. What was happening is I was like, we need to talk about the theology of this. Like, let's get to the theology of this. And he refused, refused to talk to me about the theology. He wanted me to define my terms in the post. And then when I would define my terms in the post, he would go, no, you said this. I'm like, you asked me to define my terms. I'm defining my terms, right? So now he's going on the offense trying to basically bully me. And then he asked uh, that I apologize for the post. And I asked if he would apologize for what he said. And he said, no, I believe I'm preaching the truth. And I'm like, so do I. So again, <laughs> we're at an impasse. So can we just discuss the theology? He said, no, I'm not interested in talking to the theology with you. Same thing as this pastor before. Deflect, 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 deflect. It's like, the, it's, it's like the tactic. Like, let's not actually get into the theology because I know once we get into the theology that this is going to expose my, truly, my true beliefs. I'm going to lose my... Uh, I'm going to lose my plausible deniability if we go down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, basically I was like, I'll do this. Uh, and now keep in mind, I'm not trying to cause a problem for my pastor while he's gone. He's on a missions trip for like six months. I was like, oh my, and he's a good friend of mine. And I was like, this is not cool. Like, but this is definitely one of those things where I'm not sure if even my pastor is very well aware of this particular topic. Um, and it's kind of being 
stealthed in, right? It's mm-hmm. like sneaked, it, it sneaked its way in. And no one else knows about this topic really in my church besides those who were in the theology classes with me. So I was like, this is a problem because it's going to come off like I'm having, because the obfuscation that was ha- had taken place in front of us. Mm-hmm. The obfuscation has taken place in front of us. What No one else would catch what was happening unless they're familiar with the terms. So I was just like, this is not good because it's going to come off like I'm having a fit over something, nothing because he's going to keep denying it and shift it around it. And it's going to cause a problem for my poor friend who's just trying to do a mission trip <laughs> and help these churches over in the islands. And I was like, that's not good. So um, I was like, tell you what, I will apologize for making anyone feel like I personally attacked you because it wasn't me trying to just personally attack you. You'll notice I never mentioned you by name. I never said you as my pastor. I never said my church. I just said things I've heard recently or something along that nature. And I was like, because I don't want people to think I'm attacking you. My thing is, is I'm attacking a belief because ideas are different than people. And he actually did not accept that. Mm-hmm. He thought ideas, and you can't separate ideas and people, which you obviously can. And most anyone who studies any amount of philosophy knows that you can separate ideas from people. Um, in fact, we had Dr. Liz Jackson on when we first started. Years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, we should have her back on again. She's she cool. Great. She had yeah. kids and everything since then. Um, but, you know, she says, like, philosophers, they like to try ideas on, like, a pair of pants. And I've used that ever since where I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, that doesn't mean I define it as a person, but I try it on for a minute, see how I like the thought process. And if it doesn't seem to fit, I get rid of it because it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. What, happened, what ensued then was a board meeting that was called because I had reached out to the board before I had a meeting with this guy. And... Um, to have a conversation. I put an entire document together because basically I was yelled over and then my previous meeting like, and refused to be talked to, like literally yelled over in the middle of a restaurant, which is a great testimony, by the way, mm-hmm. um, where you can't just have a conversation between two men. And also that shows, by the way, that shows insecurity too. As soon as a church leader only yells at you instead of listening, that's not somebody probably worth following because that means that they're very insecure or that or they're authoritarians. Right, I've seen that in the IFB my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this. I write this entire document, and I send it to the board that explains the issues at hand. Um, only like three of them read it, and the rest of them were like, "Yeah, it's too long, and I'm busy, and I didn't read it." And then so I was like, "That's not good," because now half the board doesn't know the situation. They don't mm-hmm. really know the theological problem here. And so when I asked him again, and then they invited this guy to this board meeting, which I was like, oh, my goodness, we're having an elders meeting. We don't need the person of contention here. What ended up happening, by the way, was me and this guy mostly debating because every time I'd say something, he wanted to counter me. So basically what ended up happening was the end of the meeting was just like, well, I'll agree to disagree. But it was funny because a few people were like, well, well, like – all that matters is the gospel, right? Do you have to believe in Jesus? Yeah, then what's the big deal? And I looked at this guy. He had he has twin kids. His kids are twins. And I was like, how would you feel if God selected one of your twins to go to hell and selected the other one to go to heaven all for his own glory and they don't have a choice? He goes, well, I agree that's a huge problem. I'm like, that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's the implications of this belief. And so then um, I actually asked this guy point blank finally in front of everyone. It's like, so you say you're not, a Calvinist. And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, here's a scenario. There's two people who are shared the gospel. One guy accepts it. One guy rejects it. Why did the guy reject it? And he goes, well, because 
through the sinful nature of his heart and the rebellion against God. He heard the gospel and his heart's hardened and he refuses the gospel. And uh, I was like, okay. And why did the other guy accept it? He's like, well, because through a miraculous work through the Holy Spirit, he gives him a new heart and um, and uh, is like he's given a new heart and is saved or something along that nature. And uh, I was like, so the difference then between these two is that one of them God chose to work his Holy Spirit in and the other one he did not. And he goes, yes. I'm like, that is Calvinism. And he goes, well, I told you some of my beliefs might intersect with theirs. I'm like, that's not intersecting. That is it. Like, this is, it is and it was that plausible deniability throughout. And he never did actually was honest about it. So most people probably notice at the church at this point, I pretty much stopped attending. I started going to another, like I went to church with Jordan, a friend of the channel a few times, and just was like, I can't listen to this guy because he's not even honest, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, it, it, made, it made my stomach churn because that was being spoken. But you are a trooper, and Brian's like, I'm still going because I'm here for the dumpster fire. Um, and there, you were the one who pulled out some of these other statements. Yeah, some of those were kind of interesting. Another metaphor for the spirit is wind. In fact, the Greek word pneuma can be translated either spirit or wind, depending on the context. And so in verse 8, Jesus says to Nicodemus, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. He's telling him, just as you know the wind is is real, although you can't see it, and there's a lot about it you don't understand, so is rebirth through the Holy Spirit. It's real. You know it it when it happens. It impacts you greatly, although you can't fully explain it. It's mysterious. It's an act of God. So it's a mysterious rebirth of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sounds are, like regeneration prior to faith. Yeah, like, oh, I found myself in Christ. I was regenerated unto belief, um, which, by the way, is not true, um, uh, at least from any way that I can even read any text. I just, like, I did not see that. But so we saw that, and I was like, that's another Calvinist teaching right happened here. But you have to know it, right? This weird, mysterious rebirth that you, don't, you can't explain it, but you know it's real. And if anyone knows anything, now, most Christians who sit in the pew would just go, yeah, well, you know, I just remember when I, you know, I encountered God, this and this, this, yeah, I was like, God's grace, it's so mysterious, I can't believe how I, how I felt when I was born again. Like, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I felt like a totally new person. I, too, felt that. Like, when I surrendered at 17, I felt like the chains basically fall off me. I remember feeling this great relief. But it wasn't mysterious in the sense of, I didn't know what just happened. It was mysterious in the sense of, like, I don't know how I can feel this free when I just surrendered myself, right? But I knew what happened. It was God in my life. That was not a mystery to me. It wasn't this mysterious rebirth of the Holy Spirit. It was, no, it was, I was reborn in Christ. I abide in him now, right? And now his Holy Spirit indwells in me. And so this is, but they use this term rebirth a little bit, and he's using that here because of Nicodemus. But... On a Calvinist ladder, uh, a Calvinist, like in a Calvinist dictionary, the rebirth of the Holy Spirit is taking you from dead, unable, completely unable to do anything, 
to new life. And he did say in our meeting, when I was like, do you affirm the free will of man? He goes, I believe in a limited free will, which by the way, if it's limited, it's not free. Like, hey, is that candy bar free? It's mostly free. <laughs> like, is it free or is it not? Like, as, as, if, you have, if you have actual free will, then it's free. If it's a limited free will, um, that's not free will. And then, especially if you have times where you don't have a free choice, doesn't mean you're not free. Like, they'll, usually they'll say, well, you didn't have a choice in being born. It's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I agree with that. I didn't have a choice in being right. born. But if I go to the grocery store, I have a choice between chocolate milk and white milk. Right. Now, there isn't any strawberry milk. It doesn't mean that my choice is not free. I just have the choice between these two things. Just like I could choose to sin or not to sin uh, in a moment, right? Um, so that was that was uh, uh, another one of those red flags. What's another one? Because Brian, Brian was the one who would like tell me these, like, by the way, this was just said, and I was like, Ugh, why? Um, so what else was said here? Easter is also my favorite Sunday of the year. But Christians really didn't begin celebrating Easter on a specific day once a year until the second century. Before that, believers who met on Sunday, as, as we do today, celebrated his resurrection every week. Because Sunday is the day Jesus rose from the grave. My only point with this is I wanted to point this out. I know it's not Calvinism. But when we had this meeting, and this is another one of those obfuscation things, he's clearly teaching. So that's actually very true, right? That's actually what drove me nuts, by the way, with these conversations. It was like, I really like his preaching. He did some really great job. Like, there are things I'm like, that's awesome. And then there's times I was like, oh, that's not awesome at all. But what the important point here is that he's deferring to history to explain why we do what we do, like a tradition that we hold to or a belief system that we hold to. But hey, let me defer to history to tell you how this developed. When I did that with his view of um, being born evil, he told me he doesn't want to get into the history. He just wants to get into what the Bible says, which goes back into why I disagree with how Kevin defers to that and other people who defer that. Like, I'm not in this. I'm a biblicist. Because in his mind, History doesn't matter in this sense. The Bible does. But he doesn't realize that he's interpreting his Bible through a historical lens. Mm -hmm. And this, and I'm not attacking him on this point, okay? I, I'm saying that this is a regular issue with people of that mindset, that it's like, no, our, our beliefs do come have a lot of historical parts in them. It's not probably as strong of a point to just say you're a biblicist. It's also not unique to Calvinism. To be fair, exactly, and that's not just a Calvinist thing. This is just like this is the example to mention that it's not a it's not a thing that's unique to Calvinism. I mean, you talk to anyone like an open theist, you talk to an annihilationist, an eternal conscious torment person, they can all say that. Like, well, I just believe what the Bible says. Um, I will use that t phrase once in a while as a joke. Like, I use it purposefully to mm -hmm. troll people. Like, because then because what I'm because the the point is that you're automatically assuming that your interpretation of the Bible is the correct one. So that's the fallacious part. And that's why you need historical definitions and historical understandings because they help prevent you from going into error, right? If the church has believed this for this long, since its birth, well, probably good indicator that it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're coming up with new beliefs that have never before been seen in the church, you should start walking forward very cautiously on whether or not you even believe it. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Next clip.
the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians have a faith in Christ of sorts, but they're also trusting in themselves for salvation, not Christ alone. And if you listen to the whole message, that was another one of those things where I'm like, I believe salvation is through Christ alone. But at this point, because he had shown himself to be Calvinistic, I'm like, I know what you mean by that. Because he's talking about legalism, right? Like he's talking, that, that's true. Like I like mm-hmm. that. Because like, that was, you and I were both, you and I, I think had both mentioned that this part was like, oh my gosh, there's so much goodness in there, but I know what is meant by this. It's not just, I'm not working my way to heaven through legalism. It's, well, you don't do anything. You don't even have to. Yeah. You, you're regenerated first. You're regenerated you first, right? You're, the Holy Spirit works in you or it doesn't work in you. And so stop trying to work your way there. It's whether or not you are trusting in Christ alone, which you can only do if the Holy Spirit works in you, which means that you don't do anything. Yeah, there's two different ways of looking at that, right? Where it's we're like, there's several ways, but two ways I'm thinking of is you, don't, you can't work for it because you're either chosen or you're not. Or you can't work for it because you can't do enough good deeds to overcome that you have sinned against a good and righteous God. So it's not that you, it's not that you, the the scales are imbalanced to the point where it, it's not, it's impossible. You do one bad thing, doesn't matter if you do a million righteous things, you're still, you're still in a sinful state from God's perspective. But that's what we're saying when, when we're saying it's, you're not working your way to salvation. It's not about works. It's it's not you can't overcome the debt of sin by your own deeds. It is a work of Christ to cover your sins with his blood. Right. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a purgation of your sins because you are corrupted. You have corrupted holy ground. Um, so you can't enter heaven uh, because you're corrupted by sin. So anyway, just important things to, to note. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, by grace you're saved. Grace is love we don't deserve. It's, it's love that we haven't earned. It's love that we can't work for. It's, he says, by grace you are saved. Through faith it is the gift of God. Not of works, he says, lest anyone should boast. And that <laughs> is Calvinism. <laughs> and somebody might go, but... That's just Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but did you notice the shift? He had to reword the verse in order for it to fit within the paradigm. It is through faith. It is, and he was saying, is the gift of God. And the way he said it is he had to reword it a little bit so that way faith becomes the gift of God, not salvation. If you look at the Greek, by the way, many people point this out, which is what blows me away that people like James White, who are fluent in Greek, still exegete that verse so abnormally because like I, every other expert I've pretty much read that are, isn't just a Calvinist for being the sake of a Calvinist. Like people who are like barely no skin into the game is like, this, this is what <laughs> salvation is the gift of God. And it says, it says that elsewhere in Paul's writings where he says eternal life is the gift. So even if you're like, I'm not sure this is kind of an ambiguous verse, it could go either way. I don't know Greek. Just read the other verses that say it explicitly. <laughs> Where it talks about continue, eternal life, the gift. Like, don't, I mean, all throughout, like, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me. Like, there's always, this, it's the idea of salvation is the gift. Salvation is the gift. 
And right here, we see that that flip on its head. And that was, um, actually, I remember I went to a different church that Sunday. Um, and you were the one who told me, like, you might want to watch the last few minutes of this. Yeah, and it's not captured in the live stream, but actually after this, he's praying, and he says it again, even more explicit than this. He's mm. like, and faith is the gift. See, and that's right there why pastors and board members need to be aware of this issue. Because if I ask you, what is the gospel or how are you saved? You need to be able to answer that and you need to be able to recognize it. If, if someone disagrees with your church on that, like they believe faith is the gift that God regenerates you before faith, you either need to be okay with that in your church as an ecumenical thing that you guys are okay with, or you guys need to make a decision on that. Personally, I think it's best to make a decision on it because I think it's one of those things where it's like, again, that is such a drastically different view. It's probably best just to be like, hey, we can be like hand in hand on a lot of things, but probably best that your church actually at least be aware of what the issue is and say, this is what we preach from the pulpit. And this is how we talk about these issues. And this is the area we of which we avoid because we don't want that contention here. Like at least like that, but if you're if you're not aware of it and people are ignorant of it, that's how stealth Calvinism can get in. That's how suddenly your church can, and not just Calvinism, but a number of doctrines that can just get stealth into your church. And I'm not saying that you. I, it's so weird because I think some people have a hard time understanding our. We walk a tight rope. You're trying to be nuanced here, right? Because it. <laughs> your church should be broad and ecumenical, right? Like um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, at a church that I'll be going to in the near future, uh, and he says I like the window shopping approach. I like for people to present multiple views as all as, and all these different views. Here's the reason why they're all plausible. Here's the reason why they might be implausible. Um, just the window shopping approach, and I'm like, I agree with that. I like that. I like the window shopping approach. I do, and I do believe your church should be okay with a lot of broad views on things. But for me, it comes down to like, okay, but when I ask somebody, how are you saved? That becomes a big issue because I need to know how I'm going to give the hope of Jesus Christ to this person. So for me, when it comes to like that level, it's like, yeah, it's either we need to be able to give a proper window shopping approach to say, we don't make an official stance on this. You believe whatever you want, and we're not going to press one direction or the other in your church. Or you just need to make a decision on what your church is going to stand on it. Like you got you to pick a lane because mm-hmm. if you just feign ignorance or you just are ignorant of a number of topics, well, now you're in a real, real, real problem here. So that's what you, you did. Does that make sense? I think so. And then finally, there's the situation. And this one was the one now uh, for those of you who are following us on YouTube. We have an entire like eight week series, eight, nine week series on the problem of evil. And in my first week, I talked about cliches that are unhelpful, that are actually hurtful. And uh, that one of those cliches is mentioned here. There was this family that was in a horrible car wreck and they didn't know if they were going to make it. And they just found out. And this was the prayer that was prayed that morning that again, now I want you to understand, let's say you're a mother and your child is on their deathbed. They're seven years old, broken rib cage, shattered from an accident. Okay, that's not this exact situation, but just imagine that level. You're thinking your child is no longer going to be with you. And these are the words that you hear as comfort. Our prayers uh, we extend to you today for them. We believe and, and they believe of your sovereignty in their lives. 
for some reason you've allowed this, this time of real trial and testing. And Father, I pray for each one of them that as their faith is tried by fire, that it would, it would be shown to be pure gold. That their faith and their confidence in you would not waver. Father, that their testimony would be all the stronger. Notice there's that word again in that same context. Sovereignty. <laughs> we acknowledge your sovereignty. We they, we they believe in your sovereignty. And Which by sovereignty, determine. they mean determinism. That God determines all things that come to pass. But we won't say that's what it means half the time, right? The stealth Calvinists won't. The, the honest Calvinists will, thank goodness. So, you know, and those are the people I can like high five and be like, hey, I don't totally disagree with you, but like. Yeah. I, we have a lot of fun with they, them. Yes, it's the a lot of and politics group. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun, like back and forth jabs, and that's fine. Like I could, I could live with that, and I'm good with that. But sovereignty, God's plan. So God planned for this this family to be nearly killed. That was part of God's plan. For what purpose did God plan that to take place? And then, did you notice how it was about faith tried by fire, and that it will come through as pure gold? that they will remain, remain faithful. So it's not about, hey, God, can you help protect these people and comfort them? It's that you will perform enough in your works, in a sense, that you will perform enough to remain faithful to God and come up pure gold, to, uh, even though he planned for your family to be almost killed and not only believed your family to be uh, planned to be your, your family to be almost killed, but as part of his sovereign decree. And then you're supposed to look at God and say, "But God, you are good, and I trust you through it." You see how that could be really bad? Like that's not what somebody needs to hear in their time, because that's what I. Do you see what I mean? They're like that. Their faith will be tried. Am I correct? You, you understand yeah. what I'm saying? There? Oh yeah. It sounds like and it's hurtful. Right. Like when when my wife lost her, uh, when we lost our child, um, I had a person go up to me. I may have told you this, might not have. You know the person, and they said, "Well, you know, maybe you could take uh, heart in the fact that God has a plan. Perhaps the child just has some sort of defect or deformity, and he's just in his plan. He's sparing you." Oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, thanks for that. Makes me feel real good. I uh, appreciate that. You Maybe think, your kid was just ugly, so you didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, like, I'm glad you just think deformity means that God would just, like, kill my child. Um, and that that's part of his plan. Like, do people really understand the implications of that? Yeah. We've had we had Vincent on, uh, on our channel. Yeah. And he talked about that with his intense sexual abuse as a child. And then how what that does to him when he hears Calvinists or people talk about determinism. And it's like, he's like, dude, that's like, he's like, that just, because of the teachings that were common in churches, his wife for the longest time was struggling with the problem of evil because it was, she wanted to blame God because that's what this doctrine teaches that it's all part of God's plan. Therefore, God's at fault. Mm -hmm. God, why didn't you stop this? Why did you include this part of your plan? As opposed to maybe the enemy works against God and God let it a free world yeah. exist. Or someone... So. Someone made a choice. I don't know what the situation was, but say someone made a choice to drink and drive and right. and hurt someone. That was their choice, and this is the consequences of their free free actions. Right, and it's and not it that God, other people. God didn't plan it, but but God said He'll be there for you. Mm -hmm. He'll comfort you. He'll see you to the other side. That He will, after you have suffered a while, He will make He will strengthen and settle you. Like 
He will redeem the situation. He'll redeem you. And he's the comforter. He's not the one who planned it and attacked you. He, he's, he comforts you when evil strikes because evil is not part of God nor part of his will. Yeah. And everyone at that church that had, or most probably that had listened to your theodicy series about the problem of evil, I'm sure when they heard that, were like, wait, no, that is ex- that you don't say that to people when they're hurting. One, it's not true, and two, it it just makes it worse. It's one of those. You're not actually bringing them comfort. You're saying, "Oh no, God wanted this to happen," and you are are bad at your faith in in God if you're upset about that. Right? Because think of it. Right? Right? If God planned it, if I'm thinking God planned it, then I'm hurting. But I also the person I'm supposed to go to for comfort is the person who caused it. Mm-hmm. As, which is God, right? The being that I'm supposed to cling to in my time of trial is the one who caused it, mm-hmm. which is why people, when they, when they, because of this influence and, and that's so pertinent in the Western world, that's why you have people who blame God and walk away from the faith in tragedy because they're like, it's God's fault. Yeah. And that's why a logically consistent view of God is vital because you're not doing thought-terminating cliches. Yeah, and to be fair... That belief isn't just in Calvinism either. We've dealt with this in numerous other churches where Tons. tragedy happens. They're like, because because this is what people just say. Like, oh, it's all part of God's plan. It's like, how? What, what are you talking about? You <laughs> think this is part of God's plan? Right. And in fact, what I see in Scripture is that God is constantly working with man, and people go against His plan mm-hmm. regularly, and then He responds to man. There's a, there's a uh, Aquinas says that God is pure actuality and he's always in the uh, always within act so you see him constantly acting yeah. and interacting with man and that's what we see in the scriptures like we see things like that where God is interacting with man and uh, people are going against his will and he's working within that to redeem the situation and I know when I said by the way that like, there's no evil within God he doesn't will evil people are going to pull from the Old Testament where it's like God sent uh, God says I'll do evil unto you the word Hebrew, evil, does not hold the same exact connotations as ours. In the Western world, when we refer to good or evil, we're referring to um, most of the time morals, right? Good, moral, like doing that, which is good, morally, like virtue, and versus evil, which is, you know, uh, Vice. immorality. What? Vice. Vice, yeah. In the Hebrew mind, it could just mean something to the effect of like, I'm going to do something, ne- I'm doing something now negatively towards you. It's a punishment. Right, like a, a punishment or a judgment or that, or I'm removing my hand of blessing, and I'm going to let the enemy do to you what they will because you have shown that my protection, you're spitting in my face, you won't listen to me, you don't want me here. You want my benefits, but not my... You want me as like your genie, but not as your lord, so I'm going to remove myself from your presence, and now the enemy will do you what you will. When it says that he's going to do evil, he's not talking about moral evil. Um, I think we need to make sure we make that clear because I could see somebody calling us out that in the, mm-hmm. in the comments. There's a lot of texts. I'm not going to get into all of them right now, just kind of giving you the general response. So anyway, um, the conclusion to all of this, it's been a long episode, but it's definitely something worth having. Because again, now I want to make this clear. I am not attacking my church, okay? It's just when you see it happen before your very eyes and someone refuse it. I mean, I can't tell you how angry I got. I was at at the end of the meeting because they were people were just like because I had a couple guys that started picking up on it mid way through the meeting. Like, wait, no, no, he Will's got a point, and I'm like, there it is, there it is. <laughs> the very fact that you're showing about the church is because it can happen 
anywhere. Anywhere. You can watch this happen right before your eyes and you think that you're safe maybe in your church, but you're not, even though you trust the people around you. They're good people around you. They're, they're loving, they're thoughtful, they're serving, but because they might not be aware of this particular issue or another issue, let's say not even this entirely, like a different issue, anyone can bring something stealthy in. You have to just know what that is. Right, yeah. So you have to be aware of the terminology. You have to be aware of what you believe. You have to be aware of precision. How can I be more precise in my speech so that way I'm very clear on where we stand on things? Like progressive Christianity is also they use stealth methods. Mm -hmm. right? They try to equivocate to confuse you so that you're like, wait, maybe that, maybe that is right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just bigoted because I don't, I'm not understanding what they're saying and they're just the more caring version. It's all just another form of, of manipulation. Right, lies. equivocation, obfuscation, plausible deniability. Like, there, there's still somebody in my church, uh, in the church that was like pushing back during my. I did a pro-life apologetics thing for a couple weeks, and there was somebody who pushed back where I still don't know necessarily what their position is because the way they pushed back, I was like, "Are you, are you a pro-choicer?" But you're just not saying it. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's that it's stealth methods, man. And you have to be aware of the issues because if you don't, they will split your church or you're going to have a bunch of brainwashed people or you got people so theologically confused that they defunct from the faith or they're no good in their evangelistic efforts because they have a ton of contradictory views. Yeah. That's why theology matters. It's why, like, even though we're apologetics channel, we've emphasized theology a lot because you're, a good theology can really respond to a lot of issues. Yeah, and if you're going to be ecumenical, you need to make sure that you're well-versed in all these so you understand it and you can differentiate what the different topics are, what the different doctrines are, where they agree, where, they, where they're different, and what the connotations and logical conclusions that they have are. Um, if you're willing to put that effort in, then awesome. I, I mean, I personally would enjoy that the most. Um, and the church I was at before this one, we, we brought in Calvinists to the church, but they they professed it and they said it out loud. They're like, this is what I believe. I'm like, okay, we can work with that. Right. And they were choosing to join, but they were saying what they were. And, and they weren't shoving it on everyone. And that same thing we've been convicting ourselves about. Like as, as different churches we go to throughout the next, hopefully several decades, we want to be open and honest with what we believe. Hey, this is this is a topic I'm struggling with that I'm not sure on. This is a topic that I've done a lot of research on, and this is where I've fallen on this this line. Um, just be open and honest about it. And I think it's for everyone that's watching. Do the same thing. And you don't want to. And like one of the things that we're challenging ourselves on is like, I want to be honest about where I believe and tell the reasons why I believe what I believe. I also don't want to be the stealthy guy who's over there trying to like make everyone believe the way I believe, mm -hmm. you know, that, cause that's wrong too. Like that's the being the Pope that's saying what this church will proclaim, right? Like don't do that, but be honest about it. And you know, that's why when I preach, I try as much as possible to use verbiage that most everyone there is going to agree with. You know, obviously you might say one tiny thing there, but I do my very best to be like, Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Unless, of course, I'm diving into one particular topic like free will or like man's responsibility, anthropology. Well, then I might have to hand, hang out on something for a minute. But generally speaking, this is what we need to do is that broad approach. Um, but they're, they're very specific on the verbiage that they use because they get people to agree with it, with what they're saying. 
by using Christianese that's slightly worded in a specific way. And then when you go to approach them on it, they kind of gaslight you on it. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they make you accept their definitions. And this is where I also one of the things that I think Kevin's getting at when he's like, what about those who believe the Bible and stuff like that? Um, I think he'd probably concede at least some of our points of what we said. But I think his point on that is he's saying, I deny your definitions. I deny your framing. I'm not going to let you gaslight me. That's mm-hmm. kind of what he's getting at. Yeah. And no matter if it's Calvinism or what have you, you need to know what your church is. But, in the, uh, but I think with Calvinism, especially because of how divisive it is, there are certain things like, think about it. There's a number of, there's a few topics that are such big topics that it will cause division, right? Um, churches should know about the doctrines. Uh, they should know if they're a Calvinist church or, you know, a non-Calvinist church or completely ecumenical on all central issues to the faith. But then the people need to be educated on their various differences between these groups. Also, don't be afraid of your labels. If one suits you, just roll with it. Be precise in your speech. Nothing is weaker than saying something like, I'm just biblical. That's that, that I'm just biblical motif is, is so worn out. Um, everyone claims it. So let's just be honest about where we stand with things and then do our best to not be divisive about it. And if somebody challenges your view, don't be so quick to take offense. Um, I have no problem people challenging my views. It happens all the time. Um, but that's something that had to be worked on, right? Like, because mm-hmm. naturally you want to be defensive. But it's okay. Like, if you, and also if you say strong things, like if you speak very strongly, don't be surprised if somebody strongly yeah. responds back because you kind of asked for it, right? You, you took a big swing and someone took a big swing back. You can't be like, well, I'm going to swing as hard as I want, but you know, you have to go easy on me because mm-hmm. that's a big problem. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot of times in these situations. So a lot of times like we can set the tone and if we have an idea of like, hey, we could be, have an open, honest conversation be punchy, but also love each other, that usually goes really well. So. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully you thread that needle today. Again, it wasn't, this isn't a necessarily a Calvinism episode as much as it's, it's a lion manipulation episode. If you're, if you're going to try to be manipulative in the church, you got to deal with the consequences. Try to avoid it and be able be on the lookout for it so that you can protect yourself against it and protect your church. You can avoid church splits by being able to call out lies and untruth. Just like Paul's telling Timothy, you got to watch out for the gossip. You got to watch out for the manipulation. People wandering into strange beliefs, whatever those might be, be careful. Be Absolutely. educated and address it. And address it the correct way. And like we said, it, some of these are hard to follow Matthew 18 because it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily a direct sin against you as much as it's it's perceived manipulation from the pulpit. Yeah, it's sin against the church or a false teaching. And if they're not being honest, and I'll say this, like if your church is doing this where it's like the stealthy thing is going on and no one's being honest about what they believe, it's okay to leave because you want to go to a place that's the church is the pillar of the truth is what is how Paul describes it, the pillar of truth, and that there's no truth in people who aren't being honest, right? And like I said, that's why I stopped like attending during that time because uh, uh, I knew it was only a few weeks that this person was there. I was like, I can't go under this preaching anymore because I've seen the way this person behaved. I mean, they exploded on me multiple times. They weren't being honest, right? They're dishonest. I was like, okay, oh, well, I'm not going to be under your, I'm not bringing my family under your preaching because you've kind of shown yourself unworthy of that level of, because that's like a level of respect, right? If I'm bringing my family under you, if you're bringing mm-hmm. your family under someone's preaching, 
That's that's a yeah. position of privilege, right? Privilege I and trust. am trusting you to spiritually educate my family. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have showed yourself to not be worthy of that, I'm not going to be under it. Yeah. Especially if you haven't repented and tried to work it out and said you just doubled down to gaslit me, then I'll okay, go, well, I'm not going to. Um, I think I'll, I'll add to just here's the wrong way to take this episode. The wrong way is to go, oh, I was in church, pastor said sovereignty, he's a Calvinist. I'm out of here. I'm going to confront him, and I'm going to light him up, and I'm going to make sure all my friends join me too. We're out of this church. This, this guy's a stealth, stealth Calvinist. No, still give the benefit of the doubt. Talk them directly, and make sure you understand the context in which they're using certain words. Mm-hmm. And it, Yeah, because you'd be surprised actually how many pastors don't know this topic very well. They should know it. They absolutely should know this topic, at least where they stand on the topic. But... Give, give grain of salt where it's at. Some, some, sometimes pastors just listen to other pastors and end up kind of regurgitating what they hear from other pastors without knowing the theological beliefs behind it. So give the benefit of the doubt. Just because they say it doesn't mean you go run, it's, because that's also causing the church to play, right? Yeah. Uh, don't, don't do those things. If you're being a bully, you're just as bad as a manipulative right. pastor. Don't so do that. Don't either. do that either. Uh, so yeah, just just find that happy balance. Be open, and if you're a pastor, be open and honest what you believe, man. Like this, help everyone out. It'll be do you a lot of good to do your church a lot of good. And then you might see people who are like, okay, I disagree with you, but you might find those people who are like, I disagree on that, but I'm willing to work with you because you're honest about it, and I don't have a problem with the conclusion, right? Like, I'm an annihilationist. I go to e- mostly eternal conscious torment churches. I disagree with them, but. So those areas where I'm like, well, either way, it's a pretty bad place. You get burned up pretty bad. So I, I'm yeah. I'm willing to work with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, anyway. We expect a lot of the traditional Protestant beliefs, and we're not trying to change them. Right. Exactly. We just uh, – sometimes it would be nice to see a more uh, – also, you and I live in Reformed capital, so sometimes we're like, hey, guys, there's other ways to understand this within evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. So um, – but anyway uh, – with that being said, guys, um, hope this was helpful for you. Hopefully uh, you can maybe be on the lookout for some things in your own church, in your own life. Maybe you needed to have some correction in your own. Maybe there was like, oh, yeah, I probably do do that. Like one of the things I, I like Brian and I said, like we're trying to be careful. Like how do we approach it with our weird views in churches? How do we go about it? We're trying to challenge ourselves because we don't want to be stealth people either, but we also want to be open and honest about where we stand. Mm-hmm. But we also want to be able to give reasons for our belief without being divisive. But if you're not being honest about your belief, you're being divisive. Um, so anyway, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to The Church Split. Go check out Beyond the Fundamentals. Uh, check out that playlist. It's actually pretty good. Um, and you go listen to their interview with those ladies especially because I feel really bad with what happened to them. Yeah. So um, anyway, guys, uh, this has been The Church Split. And Brian, do you have anything else to say? No. All right, guys. All. all right, cool. So take care and God bless. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also wanna thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about yes. y'all, but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Here's yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi guys, my name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics 
with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month in advance. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.